morning, everybody. It is my privilege to be able to stand in front of you and bring God's Word to you this morning. And so I would really like to encourage you, if, uh, go ahead and open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. If you don't have your Bible with you or your phone is not working very properly, there's some Bibles located underneath the seat in front of you. Turn to page 1018, and that's where you will find yourself. Um, uh, I am going to try and make sure that... Um, I, I honor time better than I have in the past, so we're going to see how that goes. Um, uh, I, I wanted to start off, though, and, and ask you a question about thinking about a time when you ever felt like you were on the outside looking in. The title of this message is On the Outside Looking In, and um, uh, I'd like you to be thinking about a time in your personal life where you felt like an outsider. Uh, there are, are many different things that come to my mind, but for some strange reason, uh, one of them that comes to my mind is when I was about uh, 10 or 11 years old, and um, uh, I loved playing basketball in my driveway, and uh, we had neighbors across the street, and there would be three of them, and they would play basketball, and I would go on over and ask if I could play, and they'd say, no, we have enough. And I'm thinking, <laughs> have enough. I would make it four, and we could play two-on-two, two and, and we'd have a good time, but it was just like, no. And so repeatedly, day after day, I would kind of subject myself to that, and repeatedly I would hear, no, no. And then I'd go on over there when the third person wasn't there, and I'd think, hey, okay, I'll fill in their spot. And they'd, oh, no, no. And so it was just one of those things where I was like, Wow. Now, there's other times in my life where I've felt like an outsider like that, too, and that might seem insignificant to you, but um, all of a sudden, when I asked you that question, if you can recall um, a, a, a situation or a moment, all of a sudden, your emotions start really going in places, right? You start feeling uh, sadness. You start feeling anger. You start feeling, you know, bitterness, you start feeling, you know, just like, wow, am I that much of a loser? And so today, as we dig on into Luke's gospel, I want to jump right to it and, and say that we're going to be looking at uh, how Luke, in this gospel, emphasizes Jesus' love and his care for the whole world especially for those whom the religious leaders never even noticed who would be considered completely on the outside. Um, I'm going to start off, we're going to jump right on into it. And so as we look at how Luke talks about Jesus' love and care, um, first of all, we're going to go to, he points out women. As uh, throughout this gospel, and women were looked down upon very lowly. They didn't have an opportunity to really speak up. And so in the Gospel of Luke and in other places where we write, read that the writers have written something special about women, that is pretty significant because it's basically mostly all about the men. And in that culture, that's just how it worked. And so in Luke's Gospel, uh, you know, he starts off in the first two chapters, in, in chapter one especially, and he's highlighting Elizabeth. 
who's pretty old and married to Zechariah, and, and all of a sudden he's highlighting how she in her older age is going to be uh, giving birth to John the Baptist. And it's it's great story. And then he, he shares and, and talks about Jesus, who, by the way, probably gave Luke um, so much of the information. Uh, think about this. In, in the Gospel of, of Luke, um, I don't know about you, but at our house on Christmas time, we read the Luke account of Christmas. And the fact that Luke says in, in the very first verse of chapter one, many have undertaken to drop an account of the things that have fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. And then he says in verses three and four, therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, that means he went and was talking to the eyewitnesses. He was doing his great investigative reportive, uh, 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 using that ability to be able to find out all that he could about Jesus. And it says, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, and he addresses most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So here we see that Luke, who's a physician, and we see that in, in other uh, places of Scripture, in Colossians chapter 4, and, and then as he accompanied Paul on his missionary journeys and was with Paul while he was writing, um, we look at this and we just kind of go, he had to have probably gotten these details from Mary. As Mary pours out her heart when the angel comes and appears to her, that was, that was something that most likely he probably got from Mary. And also, when we, when we get to chapter 3, um, I, I, I want you to see something. Uh, it took me a while, so I hope it, it's, it's not confusing to you. But I, I, I felt like this is important to bring out to you because this is Jesus' genealogy. In three different places, we see genealogy. And I know, you're thinking, Craig, genealogy, give it up already. But you guys, you've got to understand how important this is. In First Chronicles... Chapters 1 through 3, we can see from the beginning of man, and obviously we don't have it to the Messiah. But Luke's list, notice I've got those arrows, and it's going from right to left. The far left line is the beginning of Adam, when Adam and Eve were first created. And in Luke chapter 3, he starts off Jesus' genealogy, and he goes backwards, he, he goes, now Jesus himself, in verse 23, was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. And then it goes on to give a list, the son of Heli, the son of Matthew, and on and on and on and on and on it goes. And so Luke's list is, is going backwards from starting at Jesus on the far right to all the way back to Adam. Now Matthew's list in Matthew chapter 1 verses 1 through 17, he starts on the far left, but he starts with Adam. Seen that line left of Adam? That's where Matthew starts. And he goes toward Jesus. 
So they both have these genealogies, but Luke's going backwards from the present all the way to the back, and Matthew goes from the end, the beginning of the tribe of Abraham, and starts going all the way to Jesus. And there's some people who are like, well, wait a minute, they, they have different names, and how does this work out? Well, let me tell you, in, in Luke's list, as you see, there's Adam, and then there's Abraham, and both of them lead to David. And then from David, all of a sudden you see these two things. You see the two brothers. Nathan's on top, Solomon's on the bottom. And from Solomon, there's a list of generations that lead to Jacob, and then that leads to Joseph, and then that leads to Jesus. There's not enough room to put all the different names. And on the top list, it goes from Nathan all the way over to Heli, and, and Heli was most likely the father of Mary. So why, why these two genealogies? Well, uh, Luke's list gives the real descent, the real descent of Jesus, which could only be through Mary, because Jesus, what? was physically conceived by the Holy Spirit, not of Joseph. So Luke's giving a list of Mary's genealogy. And then Matthew's list gives the legal descent of Jesus, which could only be through the male. And that was Joseph, his adopted father. And the reason why I put this in here right now is because, again, this is just another example of how Luke promotes women in a day when that just didn't happen. There's another woman, Anna. She was a prophetess. She was uh, unusually close to God. And you can read about her in Luke chapter 2, verses 36, 37, and 38. So Luke highlights women. Sorry, God. <laughs> I was just going to turn it off, Frank, and then, you know, you could have stayed there. But I was just like, I was just going to sit there, but that's okay. That's all right, man. When you play the bass like that, you can let that phone go off anytime you want, brother. But next, I want to highlight to you what else Luke highlighted in, in this, and that was the poor. And, and Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, and, and even all the way through verse 21, he gets up, and if you want, you can turn there because it's pretty powerful, and, and he starts reading. This is the beginning of his ministry. He's already been baptized, and he's already come out of the temptation in the desert from Satan at the beginning of chapter 4. And now we're, we're into the middle of chapter 4, and, and it says, I'll pick up in, in verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. 
and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Here's what he found, and here's what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty in the, to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are depressed. Now, this is what I refer to as Jesus' mic drop moment. Because we're told in Scripture, that's what he says, and then in verse 20, it says this. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Now look at verse 21. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's basically, that's basically the impact that that had. Now forgive me for using that illustration for you because I don't believe Jesus was ever the kind nor did he ever model, hey, look at me, look at me, and, and I kind of resent today's athletes or, or people who are just like, bam, like, yep, that's the last word on that and nobody can top it. Or they do all this, you know, with, with they say the name uh, uh, on the front of their jersey, but they're really holding up the name on the back of their jersey. I'm not big on that. But I knew that you could relate to understanding in our culture today, that's, that's kind of similar. Only Jesus just rolled up the scroll, handed it back, and then he just said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing right now. And I'm just like, wow. The video referred to two groups of poor. Um, uh, in, and in Hebrew, the, the, the word ani, and those are the low social status and, and, the dis, and the, those who fit in the low social status, those are the disabled or women or children or the elderly. Uh, I think most of us in here fit in that category somewhere. Social outsiders um, included the ethnic differences uh, amongst people, uh, people who made poor life choices, which placed them outside of acceptable religious circles. Now, I'm going to expand on those things because I want to share some of the examples that we can see in the book of Luke. So, first of all, when, when Jesus is emphasizing love and care for the whole world, he, he, he's doing that by, by showing love and care to women. He's doing that by showing love and care to the poor. And now I'm going to kind of take the poor and, and kind of expand a little and, and give it a topic that says, and he, he shows that to the socially and racially and religiously ostracized. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. It's an immoral woman. 
Some Bibles just say a, a, a sinful woman. And it says in verse 36, Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's home and reclined at the table. And then there was this woman who was very immoral. And she came on in and she busted open an alabaster glass jar, which was very expensive, and with perfume in it. And she poured it all over him, particularly on his feet. And she used her hair to wipe it in there. And Luke highlights this, and and you just go, wow. She was socially and religiously ostracized. Now, what's interesting to me uh, is how does she get into this Pharisee's house in the first place? Because later on, you know, it says in verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. It says he said that to himself. But Jesus knew. And he replies to him. And uh, the scripture tells us how, what he does and how he challenges him. Uh, Another um, racially ostracized, the Samaritans. If you turn to to Luke chapter 9, or you don't have to turn there, I'm sorry, because um, uh, we're not going to have enough time, but I will tell you, how about Luke chapter 10, where it's the the parable of the Good Samaritan. We're pretty familiar with that. The religious people that Jesus shares this story walk by somebody who's been beaten and robbed, and they pass by. But it's the Samaritan that Jesus highlights in this story as the one who shows love and compassion and care, sacrifice, generosity. In Luke chapter 17, we're going to see two different things. One, that's the story in in verses 11 through 19 where uh, Jesus heals ten lepers. And we know that one of them is a Samaritan. You know why? Because he's the only one who came back and gave thanks. He was highlighted. He's the only one. Which leads me then into, you know, not only an immoral woman, not only Samaritans racially different, ethnically different, but also lepers. I mean, when you had the different diseases in that day, or you were crippled, or you were disabled, or or whatever you had that was abnormal, that meant in the society they believed that's because of the sin of their parents. That's why your child has this. And they didn't look at the people with care or compassion. I'm talking about the religious leaders. They're just like, oh man, I I don't want to have to deal with that. And how did they justify it? Well, because, hey, you're, you're the ones who are sinners. You're the ones who brought this upon yourself. That's what the culture thought in those days. How about um, uh, another social just outcast, outsider, tax collectors? Tax collectors. And back in Luke chapter 5, 
we can see when Jesus uh, encounters uh, 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 Levi, and, and we see that in, in verses 27 through 32. It says, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. You didn't do that with tax collectors. Because tax collectors were really hated by the Jews. Because they were money-grubbing lowlifes who, because they worked for the Roman government and had to collect the taxes for the government, the government said, hey, we don't care how you get it and we don't care how much you charge, but this is what we want. So the tax collectors, it was like, man, they could do whatever they want. It was extortion. There was no set fees, no rules. It was just like, hey, give me this. Wait, wait, what? Give that to me. Or I'm going to tell the Romans. And he's a Jew. And he's ripping off his fellow countrymen and women. I mean, they were not looked upon very well at all. And I love this because it just describes how Jesus is walking by him and he says, hey, follow me. He doesn't go into this long pontification about, hey, you know what, you're, you're kind of messed up. Um, I'd like you to follow me, but before you do, we got to get some things taken care of. Okay, i got to set you straight. Nope, he just says, follow me. And then we can read right after that in verse 29. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. I mean, this guy was so, like, blown away that Jesus said, come and follow me. He's like, wait, what? What? He says, man, you're, you're the guest of honor. I'm going to throw a banquet for you. Nobody does that. Nobody's done that for me. Everybody just looks at me and just scowls, and they hate my guts. And I bet if, if we could hear from Levi today, he would have said, and you know what? I deserved it. Next, criminals. There were criminals because uh, the two thieves on the cross, and you turn to Luke chapter 23, and we're, we're pretty familiar with that. And, and when Jesus is on the cross and he's being crucified, and it says uh, uh, in, in verse, um, let's see, where, 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 am I, where am I at here? 39 through 43. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? I mean, aren't you the anointed one? Aren't you the Messiah? He said, save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, we're punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Pretty cool that Luke highlights this. So the other gospel writers. But also, how about the last one I have is rebellious family members. If you turn to Luke 15, I think uh, you don't even have to turn there, but uh, uh, I'd, I'd like you to just because uh, you're going to be fam familiar with this. Verses 11 through 32. 
the parable of the prodigal son. And you know what? There, there's really two issues going on here. One, it's the prodigal son. He says, I know what's best. And, and you know what, Dad? Give me, give me my inheritance early. And so his father would have given him a third of, of what was due him because the firstborn son would have gotten two-thirds and the secondborn would have gotten a third. He said, I don't want to wait around. I don't want to stay here. I want to go out. I want to live. I want to party with my friends. I want to explore life. I'm, just give me. Give me. He didn't earn it. He was born into it. And yet he felt so entitled. Give me. And we read about that story, and, and, and we also read how he came to his senses. And he came back. But we also read about the firstborn, the oldest, who is bitter and angry that his father would allow his brother to come back. That his father would forgive his brother. It's like, Wow. You know, we just think of the prodigal son, but um, that firstborn, he's a hard, hard heart. And Jesus shared that story because he was, he was referring in that story, that's the same as who the Pharisees and the religious leaders were. Thinking that they had done everything. They'd been faithful. And yet, there was no love. There was no forgiveness. You know, Jesus says that God's kingdom is especially good news for these people. But I have a question. Who are the modern-day equivalents to these poor outsiders? Now, these are just uh, my own thoughts. And you can disagree or come up with your own um, I'm sure that they might strike a chord and they might make some of you angry. They might make some of you defensive. That's not my goal. I'm, I was just trying to honestly think about how, how does this work in today's context that we live in today. So I'm not saying that these are set in stone. I just want to challenge you. My point is that I'm trying to contextualize what Luke was writing to his audience and transpose that to our day today. So here it goes. The ancient, you know, we, we said there was the women, the poor, the immoral woman. These, these next six were all those who fit underneath that category of, of the social uh, ostracized, the religious ostracized, right? And so... Um, then we have the immoral woman, the Samaritans, lepers, tax collectors, criminals, rebellious family members. Well, for the women, I just thought about, okay, it's still women, and I put slash children, and my thinking behind keeping that there is because I think of how much is going on with abuse. I think of how much has been going on with sex trafficking, and so today, for, for me, I just didn't have room to put those things up there, but that's why I put the women and children. We read the newspapers. Forget about that. 
unfortunately, we've experienced that in a lot of, of your lives. I know because I've talked with you. And I've prayed with you. And you've allowed me in with your pain. With the poor, I just equate, that's a homeless situation. And it's, it's okay as long as it's somewhere else. But it's not okay if it's, if it's in our neighborhood. And you, you see so much divisiveness going on over these different issues. An immoral woman. You know what? Um, I was trying to be polite and put escort. But a stripper or someone whose uh, pornography, whether they're on the internet and live streaming themselves or whether they're making uh, pornographic movies, today that, that's what I'm equating to that, that immoral woman of that day. Samaritans, uh, I put different ethnicity from our own. If we were an African-American predominant church, um, that's why I said different ethnicity from our own. If we were a Hispanic church that was predominantly Hispanic, I'd say the same thing. That's why in our context, even though we're a majority, predominantly white Anglo-Saxon, think about different ethnicities from our own. I wrote my list, Native Americans, African Americans, Hispanics, Asians, Middle Easterners. Here's one that kind of could encompass uh, a whole bunch, refugees. Lepers. I've talked with a lot of people, and, and I didn't put it on here because I went back and forth, but because I've talked with a lot of people who are in the disabled community, they've had kids, or have kids who are disabled. And not all of them feel the same way, but there are many who feel as if they are just ostracized. Whether it's in schools, in the churches, just in, in their neighborhoods, they're ostracized. But I also was thinking about, okay, AIDS. And, and even to me, something that's just like so current, the LGBT community ostracized. Now, as I look at these different things, again, please hear me. I'm not doing any endorsements for any of these lists. I'm just trying to equate. The list on the left is who Jesus reached out to and showed love and care and said, this is why he came. Do we recognize that on the right as well? Or are we going to be dug in and just, oh, yeah, well, he didn't come for these people. He didn't come for these people. Tax collectors. Okay, now don't get mad at me on this one because it was a reach. I put loan sharks, but I put, I put lawyers and realtors. Okay? So, so, so please, here's where I'm going with that because I've got friends who are both lawyers. I, I don't have a friend who's a loan shark. I have a friend who used to be a loan shark, though. He was in the Ohio uh, mob. 
But um, lawyers and realtors, only because they're the ones who would tell me, oh, yeah, yeah, our, our profession, it's, it's the worst. Oh, it's, oh, man, you know. And that's why finding honest people within there. Uh, maybe you could put on in there uh, car mechanics, okay? I, I don't know. Maybe you could put on, I mean, you just think about the people who you're like, oh, man, those guys, they're gouging me. Um, criminals. I put murderers, abusers, and traffickers. And that does a, a, a large gamut. Could have had thieves up there as well. Could have had drug dealers up there as well. And then the religious family member. A wayward son or a cheating spouse. Now, as you look at this list... And, and, and you know what, Brooks, I'm going to be having you do some gymnastics, okay? But as you look at this list, I'm going to ask you some questions. And, and first of all, for those of you who are Christians, for those of you who are Christians, who on this list do you most identify with before you became a Christian? Who on that list do you most identify with before you became a Christian? Now, put that list back up for me, Brooks. Which one? And, and some of you might say, uh, none of them. I'm not saying that God saved you from only one of these areas in life. But as you think about what Jesus Christ saved you from, who, who would you think that you most identify with? Again, I'm talking to only Christians. And if you can't remember... Oh. Another question. Uh, how did Jesus reach into your heart, into your own personal heart, and, and prove his love and care for you? How did Jesus do that? Have you forgotten? Has he just been like, oh, well, that happened so long ago? Don't ever forget what he's done. Now, for those of you who aren't Christians, and guess what, believe it or not, there's, there's probably a lot more in here than we would care to think of. I don't know who you are, but I have a question. Uh, what more can Jesus do to prove to you that he loves you and wants to have a relationship with you? What more can Jesus do to prove to you that he loves you and that he wants to have a relationship with you. You need to wrestle with that question. Now here's a question for everybody. Um, who on this list do you have the hardest time believing that Jesus loves? Go ahead and throw that list back up there if you wouldn't mind, Brooks. Who do you think that Jesus has the, uh, the hardest time, who do you believe has the hardest time believing that Jesus loves them? Now I'm really going to keep digging in and digging in and digging in and stepping. Who do you think that you reflect more often, Jesus or the religious leaders? 
do you reflect that love and care and forgiveness of Jesus? Or do you find yourself more times than not reflecting on the hate and the neglect and the judgment of the religious leaders? These aren't easy questions. But following Jesus isn't easy. My last question, and only you can answer this again, what action, what steps or step of action does Jesus want you to take in your growth as a disciple of Jesus? Because, see, I I have a fear that... um, there are a lot of people who I pray to prayer, I know I'm saved, I come to church, I sing, I pray every once in a while, I read my Bible every once in a while, but we're really not growing. We're just going through the motion. See, that was the religious leaders of the day, and that's why Jesus upset them so much. He was messing up all of their systems And so, men and women, we've got to be aggressive. We've got to be looking at, okay, what action do you want me taking, Jesus, today in this area? Jesus, what action do you want me to take in this area? And not be satisfied with just, okay, I'm in. I'm in the club. Jesus doesn't want club members he wants disciples he wants men and women who are going to carry on his mission of making disciples we can't do that unless we're committed to growing ourselves. Luke wrote this gospel to a Gentile audience showing that Jesus is the messianic king who brings God's blessings to all of humanity not just the the Jewish people. And he recorded how Jesus welcomed those who were on the outside looking in. And isn't it ironic that the religious leaders who everyone thought were the insiders are actually the true outsiders because they just couldn't grasp such an incredible love and grace. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for your love and for your plan and for your son, Jesus, who came to fulfill the mission that you set before him, who followed through through the power of the Holy Spirit Lord, would you help us as we reflect to not leave here and to think whatever we want to think. Hey, that was a good message. Hey, I disagreed with it. Hey, that had nothing for me. Lord, I, I don't know all the different things that people can be thinking, but I would just hope and my prayer is that people will leave here with more of a desire to grow in their relationship with you.
and to not be satisfied. Thank you that you accept each and every one of us because each and every one of us, we were outsiders. And it's only because of your grace and your love that we can say that we are sons and daughters of the King. So we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.